0: In today's episode, I have a refreshing conversation with Olivia Cole, an author and educator from Louisville, Kentucky, about confronting white supremacy from the side of privilege. Her upcoming novel is titled The Truth About White Lies. Well, Olivia Cole, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. And for people who may not know who you are, what what would you like to share about yourself?
1: Uh, Let's see. I'm a mom from Kentucky who is back in Kentucky after a long time away. Um, I'm the author of A Conspiracy of Stars, Anatomy of Beasts, and uh, my earlier series which is a new adult series panther in the hive and its sequel the rooster's garden and now my newest is cloud parliament and um but not for long my next one is a young adult contemporary my first contemporary and that's out next year in march called um the
0: truth about white lies Mm. i love that title by the way thank
1: you it it was a it was a journey to get to that title um
0: (laughs) people tell, tell us about that
1: yeah you know it So this book was such a, um, uh, uh, it it was kind of like, I don't know, I felt like Frodo, just kind of like trekking and trekking. It was a very long trek with this book, the writing of it, um, the revising of it. It's the longest I've ever spent on a book Mm -hmm. um, with with two editors, two agents. um, Just, uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, just a Whole b word, but um, <laughs> but
0: you can swear by the way you choose to. I'm not.
1: Well, I'm still like in parent mode. My kid just went to sleep thirty minutes ago, so I'm like, yeah, still mom.
0: You know, I've and I feel like that's how I've like kind of worked into the lower voice. Is, you <laughs> yes, know, the sleeping kid <laughs> syndrome. <laughs>
1: Yes, that's exactly. I mean, you know, I have a pretty mellow voice in general, but definitely I'm literally like one wall away from her right now. So I'm extra mellow now. <laughs> the, the quiet, stone voice. Um, but but yes, I'm so and also still in mom mode. So, yes, the book was a bitch um, to get to where it is. But I'm so glad it was. Um, it went through a bunch of titles, a bunch of phases, a bunch of beta readers, um, you know, its earliest version. Uh, yeah. I said in the acknowledgements, actually, um, one of my good friends and one of the smartest people I know, Zoe Simulti, uh, she read it for me, the very earliest version, and she came back and was like, this isn't what you're trying to do, and I was mm. like, oh, God, you're right, so I had to start, completely start over, and um, but I'm so glad I did, uh, so it was originally, I think the original title was How to Be Invisible, and then it was, oh, God, a couple other things after that, but then... Um, my first editor, the first editor, I'd already been working with him, and he had seen an early version of this book, and he was like, okay, when you're ready, you know, bring it to me. I'm going to try to, you know, sell it to my board, because he really wanted it, but he had to, you know, sell it in-house, and um, they were just too scared. They were like, this book is about white supremacy and white privilege, and, you know, are are people going to think we're racist because this you know character is struggling with all these things. Mm-hmm. Um and this white, you know, protagonist is you know, struggling with all these things.
0: I get how you know, you know, that's, that's a, a challenge lot. now, by the way.
1: Yeah, they were scared. They were scared. I mean there's not a whole I'm not gonna say there's no other books like this, but there's not a whole lot, especially not in YA. Um, so he tried and tried and you know, God love him, he he really went to bat for it. But um, they just wouldn't wouldn't come around. and so he was like, "Oh, I'm so bummed to be missing out on this book. So we had to take it on the road and it was it got a lot of interest, but again, people were just like, we don't know how to handle this. Like well, our, our team is too you know timid to to handle it because you know they publishing they get the team's but, you know opinion and people were interested and liked it, but just were a little scared. And so I was lucky to, I mean, so lucky to have Alex Hightower at Little Brown um, see something in it. And I thought it was cool because it had already been through so many iterations and titles and everything. By the time it got to her, I was like, well, we should be almost there. But then we completely changed other things over the last year. So it has been a long, yeah, the, the title that I sold it under was The First Rule of White Club. And and I know I know I still love that um I still love that but they were like well we might get sued and I was like well that's a good point
0: (laughs) um and I suppose the other thing is you know it's an older movie now I'm middle age
1: yeah you know right it's like for for a certain you know generation would immediately get the the you know the reference but um you know younger folks who this is aimed at you know not so much so. Uh yeah so we but I really like where we landed it kind of seemed obvious once we found it we're like duh the first rule of white lies like duh um so I'm by like so many other things with this book it needed to happen all of the steps all of the turmoil on the way needed to happen it's it's yeah. done it's done
0: well congratulations and Thank you know you. and I'm curious so you mentioned you know when you landed with Alex Hightower and you completely changed some other things. Are those things you can talk about at this point? Or I'm just curious (laughs) from a process insider, like, you know, there's rewriting the book, but then what are some other things that come up?
1: Yeah, I think one of the main things that changed with Alex was was she made me very aware of, like, places where the main character's name is Shania and where I was like places where I was letting Shania off the hook a little bit, um, you know, trying to, in the book she's grieving for her grandmother. um, And that's, you know, apparent from basically page one. Um, And I wanted to show the balance of how you can be someone who has suffered and who has, you know, had a hard time, but if you're white, you still, you know, have access to, um, you know, privileges and power that you wouldn't otherwise, and I, I really wanted to have that balance, and um, you know, but, but show like you know you can still have had a hard time, but still have it easy, um, and that's that's really, there was places where I did that successfully, but then there were other places where, um, I her, being naive like Shania's being naive, was needed to be tempered more because I did want to show how. Like, white folks, our consciousness, there are are times where we're very conscious of of the decisions we're making, especially when it's, like, making a decision to stay quiet um, in, you know, in the face of injustice or bias or, you know, bigotry or whatever. Um, There's, you know, we do make that conscious choice, but then there's times where, um, you know, I know this anecdotally, and then also just in all the research that I've done in the last 15 years, um, you know, there are you know there's a, a a culture of ignorance of like um of learned ignorance of purposeful ignorance i think charles mills called it um of you know choosing when to be ignorant and it turns into this kind of like baby birdness out in the world um and there's times where i wanted to show that in the book for shania but then there was also times where alex pointed out like here's a place where you should be leaning more into the consciousness of the character and not the obliviousness of the character. So that was like, really, that was tough because I think sometimes as white folks, we don't even know when we're being one or the other, right. We're so used to pretending that ignorance that sometimes it does turn into real naivety, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's been a tough book to, to revise because, you know, thinking about young people's perspective, you know, I think there will be a lot of crossover, you know, with adults, for this mm-hmm. book but this is still a book book for young people so i wanted to make sure that's who i was talking to
0: yeah well and you're more likely to have an impact at that age i would imagine yeah i found that that's true so obviously you went through a lot to do this book and it's not like it was your debut novel you know like a lot of times we spend a lot of time on our first book mm. right and so what was it about this idea um, or project that kept you going through it all? Why, why does this book need to come out?
1: Damn, that's a good question. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, this feels like my debut because I was, you know, I was, you know, well, I think I, I wasn't pregnant when I sold the book, but the year my book was, you know, coming out, I was, you know, I was, I I basically, I had a newborn, you know, when the book came out. And so I was pregnant the whole year before. So, I had a different agent then that, um, you know, looking back, you know, maybe should have been doing a better job of, you know, representing me within the publishing, you know, house. Um, And so, you know, it was kind of just a blur of nothing, you know, for the first book. It didn't, you know, it's gotten like a strong base of, um, of like a small, strong base of, of fans. But uh, I think my, my vision for my science fiction work was misplaced at the time I was trying to, write a book for, um, you know, my students and my, my community, um, which is made up of mostly black women, um, and black girls. And I really wanted to like have a science fiction book that was, you know, for, you know, my friends, my family, my future daughter, um, who now is no longer future, but here still future because she's changing every day. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, and, but then, you know, I, as I learned more about, the publishing industry and how racist it is and you know creating books for for the readers is important but also it is more important to make space for women of color people of color in general but you know and especially black women in publishing to write the stories that I was writing um for the reading they should be writing those books until and <laughs> you know in in until not forever really but um you know until there's more of a level playing field you know I I still write books for, you know, my, my, my friends and my family and my students, but I self-publish them now so that I'm not, you know, taking up that space in publishing. Mm-hmm. But I think that The Truth About White Lies is really, that's the book I have been writing for so long. I just didn't know how. Um, and I, I needed to do a lot of learning and reading until I got to that point. Um, I mean, truth be told, I've been writing this book since college. But it just was taking so many different forms um, and never quite finding, you know, the right uh, medium. And then I, you know, it just kind of like started falling together in my head as I realized more about the industry I was working in, as I was listening more to other authors, you know, uh, Daniel Jose Older and Daniel Clayton, you know, were some of the first ones that I, you know, would sit down with and, you know, just you know, as friends at writing conferences and getting to know each other as authors in this industry um, who are like, man, you know, I wish white people would spend half as much time telling the stories of their own people's struggles with racism than trying to, you know, write a book from the perspective of Black and brown people struggling with racism. Like, mm-hmm. you have a, a foot in this too, which, you know, I've always known, just for, not always, but, you know, in the last... 10, 15 years of my both education and self-education of, you know, learning about how, you know, racism is not a people of color problem. It's, uh, you know, it, it affects and um, hurts white people too, you know, as, as oppressors, um, you know, it, it empties us out. Um, and I really realized, you know, it's like, yeah, this is, we have, we have a lot of stories that need to be told, and a lot of people are very scared to tell them, um, myself included. I'm scared as hell yeah. to put this book out, you know? Yeah. But um, but this is the truest book I've ever written, and that's the kind of work I need to be doing. So uh, so that's what I'm going to keep doing.
0: Yeah, well, that's cool. And, you know, I've taken one swing at a similar thing, just in a oh, yeah? short story. And, you know, normally I'm known as, like, kind of a satirist or a humorist mm-hmm. um, with my work, and, you know, I. Wasn't trying to be funny at all. <laughs> I wasn't, yeah. but you know, uh, what I encountered was uh, the feedback I got was that I wasn't, I did it from the point of view of, you know, like an anti protagonist who mm-hmm. is white and privileged and doing things that kind of do harm to others. Mm-hmm. And the feedback I got was that he's not punished enough mm-hmm. in the story. Right interesting interesting yeah. yeah and which is you know on the one hand it's like you know we want to see <laughs> some mm-hmm. form of retribution and whatnot but and on the other hand we are getting off lightly
1: yeah right? yeah there yeah, is
0: that you
1: know absolutely right if you're being realistic right yeah. um, you know it's it is it's like how do you find that That balance of realism, which, you know, the reality is that, you know, yeah, people like the character you wrote, people like the one I wrote, um, do get away with this shit every day. Um, Mm -hmm. all of us have at some point, um, and uh, us being white people, Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, like, what, what is the, that balance between reality and, um, and fantasy, I guess you could call it, um, but you know, I, I read—I um, don't know if you've read this by James Baldwin. Um, it's a short story. Well, it's like it's a, a piece of. Oh God, I always get this title wrong. I think it's "Going to Meet the Man," mm. um, and it's a, a short story about a a white man during the Civil Rights Movement. Who? It's a horrifying story. Um, you know, it's him as a as a cop or a sheriff and he's fighting back against um well he sees it as fighting back um you know he's really just brutalizing you know civil rights marchers and protesters and um activists and he is laying in bed at night thinking about i mean he's terrified you know he's angry and he's like full of rage and terror and he in thinking about these protesters and these activists, you know, he he has a memory of when he was a child and he witnessed a lynching and how it was a, um, a formative experience for him in that it created in him, like it tapped into, um, his genes almost, you know, like an inherited trauma of its own. And he feels so empty and so full at the same time. And I, and Baldwin, you know, was a genius, but in this story, I feel like he just so wholly captured, you know, that 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 balance that you and I are talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, the how do you show someone getting off scot-free, right? You know, as this character yeah. does, you know, um, yeah. but also you see with between the lines, the absolute undoing that has already been done the way this character has undone himself, the way he has um mm-hmm rotted his own life away the way his ancestors rotted his life away in his culture and that he has nothing um and you know and and that's really apparent in the story without you know you know Baldwin doesn't have to say it explicitly and um you know I don't think I don't think my craft has reached that point yet I'm, I'm working on it um I'm working on a middle grade right now that kind of you know seeks to do that but I think that you know I, I hope that readers, you know, who read the truth about white lies, will see at least some of my attempts there showing that, like, um, you know, Shania, she does, she does have uh, consequences on the page of various, co- you know, types, which I'm very interested in hearing what readers, you know, feel about those consequences, you know, mm-hmm. the big ones and the little ones. Um, but I really try to show how much racism takes from everyone, um, and in, not in a way that turns Shania into a victim, where we don't we don't feel sorry for her, but we also see like, damn, this is really pathetic, you know, mm-hmm. this this whole system, what it takes from all of us is just so pathetic.
0: Yeah, and you know, this isn't your debut novel, although you say mm-hmm. in some ways it feels like it. And do you feel like because you have a history and a track record, you're more like able to? Pushed this even as difficult as it was to get it green lighted.
1: Um. Yeah. No. Definitely. I was such a um a baby when I came in. I was. It's not like I was super young, but I just I you know I think I was just I was so naive about just the publishing you know world. I didn't know much about it. I'd been to conferences, but I you know I was not good at talking to people. I, I'm very shy. Um and I have had had slash have anxiety. I'm actually on medication for the first time ever for my Mm. OCD and anxiety. And it has made a world of difference. I mean, I just can't believe what a difference Mm. it's made. Um, so I feel like that alone, (laughs) being medicated, um, and having a clear head where I can actually deal with my anxiety around, you know, my career and my work and feel comfortable talking about my work. Um, it's allowed me, I'm, you know, both both being, you know medically you know medically stable whatever you want to call it um and then also uh just you know more mature now um and the friendships i've been able to make you know i mentioned tiffany before we started recording you know our Mm. editor introduced us um you know back before either of our books came out um but you know i just i have so many more friends now in publishing you really gotta have friends if you're gonna make it through man um you know other people who are if not writing the same kind of books as you are at least kind of walking with one foot in the world that you're walking in so that you can have somebody to commiserate with, um, and cry with, and, you know, celebrate with it's just, there's so many gains and losses in any given week in publishing that, uh, you know, I, I didn't have that before. So it was very easy to kind of just let myself off the hook and slide into the shadows and like not talk about my work. And I know I have friends now who are like, <laughs> this actually happened two weeks ago. Um, when I did the cover reveal for white lies, I put it on Twitter, but I was busy with my daughter and I hadn't put it on Instagram yet. And two of my author friends texted me like, are you going to put it on Instagram or do I need to, you need to hurry up? Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. Um, you know, it's, if you won't celebrate yourself, you have people who will, um, yeah. who will make you. Um, and I think just that, um, and just knowledge, you know, there's so much, I just didn't know about the way this industry works and um, you know how you can't dwell. You just got to keep moving forward and work on the next thing. So, you know, um, I'm definitely going to push this book as much as I can. I think it's an, a very important book. Oh, I kind of didn't answer your question, did I, about why I think it should be in the world? I don't know. I think our conversation kind of reflects that. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it'll it'll be out in March, no matter what. And i i gotta I gotta talk about it because we also have a wonderful educator's guide that I wrote with um, a dear friend of mine who's also just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Dr. Asha French, um, she she's uh, she doesn't have a book out yet. She's Her book is actually on sub right now, um, but she's been in the New York Times. She had a column at Ebony. I mean, she's just a really wonderful thinker. Um, she and I collaborated to create The Educator's Guide, which I think is so crucial for this book. I I really didn't want um, The Truth About White Lies to go into classes with white teachers who were just ill-equipped to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my worst nightmare was, you know, there being, a, as there is in my in my book, you know, the classroom full of white kids and then the lone Black student who is called upon to represent their entire race, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I just didn't want that to happen with this book. So I was like, all right, if we're going to do this, if we're going to publish this, this is one of my, uh, my requirements for selling the book is that there must be an educator's guide. I must have a hand in it. Um, you know, we must make this this is like you know you got to put this book out there with a chaperone like white people need a chaperone when it comes to this stuff um otherwise you know that we just we don't have the we so often just lack the vocabulary um and the tools and the insights necessary to really like um regard ourselves um in our own history and culture and doings so um that's what the educator's guide is and you know, that at the very least, you know, you ask me, am I gonna, do I feel good about, you know, talking about this book and putting it out there? And -hmm. yes, I do. But also, I'm thrilled to be putting the Educator's Guide out there too, so that people can learn something. If they have questions, you know, if there's questions in the book, you know, the questions arise from the book that they're like, holy shit, like, I feel like this just slapped me upside the head. What do I need to do? You know, there's resources and there's, you know, uh journal questions you know and reflect reflection questions and just lots of things to help people kind of guide themselves for young folks and adults
0: yeah that sounds great yeah yeah, yeah. you know and we're all moving so fast you know having that space in the classroom and some structure to to deal with it's is, yeah. is a promising way to treat with it
1: yeah. And teachers are busy, you know, teachers, like sometimes, you know, I talk to, I've got a lot of friends who are teachers, especially since becoming an author. Um, but you know, just like, you know, I, one of them was like, look, I don't even assign books. Like we don't read chapter by chapter together. I just, I give my students the books. I give them uh, you know, a month to read it. And then we come back and talk about it at the end of the month. So we're not, so like chapter by chapter questions, aren't really what we need. We need this. We need discussion questions. We need this. So, you know, I took that seriously. And, like you said, you know, if we're all moving so fast, even if teachers don't get a chance to, you know, sit, sit down and have these conversations with their students, that the students can do it on their own, you know, just mm-hmm. to have something. Um, and there's some wonderful books out there that do similar things, like um, the book by Leila Asad, uh, Me and White Supremacy, or maybe is it, is it White Supremacy? It's Me and White Supremacy. I just had to look at my bookshelf. Um, but, uh, you know, that's got journal questions and stuff, too. So it's like, I know I'm not the only one doing this work, but I want there to just be lots of options, you mm-hmm. know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, what we're talking so much about this, but you know, like I, I imagine for anybody who would be tempted to tune out because we're talking about politics. Tell me, why is this not talking about politics? Or do you think we are?
1: Oh, uh, well, I mean, everything is politics. Um, <laughs> you know, the the kind of juice that you buy is politics is everything's political. The personal is political, I believe that. Um, mm. but This is this is uh, this affects all of us, you know, Mm. whether you want it to or not, you you know, as there's actually a line in the book where Shania says, you know, oh, I don't see race. And the character Jay says, well, it sees you. Um, Mm. And it it does. It's 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 a totally made up thing, right? Like race is totally fake and invented, but it's repercussions in the world are real. And we can't deny that. Um, And it's it's. You know, it, it's I've had this this conversation with my students. Um, actually, I had a student in, a few years ago that really inspired the the what ended up being the final version of this book. Um, young white student from you know here in Kentucky, and you know I've had some of the most brilliant you know young people in my classroom from all over the part you know parts of the state. Um, you know, and people are always shitting on Kentucky, right? you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so ignorant, so you know, oh, they don't wear shoes down there you know you know all like whatever the stereotype's gonna be, but it's like I've had brilliant students from all parts of this state, mm. and some of them have been racist, some of them have not, um you know, and i he, the 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 student who really inspired this book, I was just like. I was so sad for her, you know, because she was so smart and so driven, so confident, but had just been given some really wrong information. Mm -hmm. And and I I only have three weeks with my summer program students. So I don't think three weeks is enough (laughs) to couple
0: decades will do you
1: know, to undo (laughs) the possibly the lifetime of you know, of bad information that she'd been given. Um, but, you know, I just want to plant seeds where I can. And then if they come back to me later and want to harvest, I'm here to harvest. And that's happened too, you know, but it, this affects all of us and she really, really didn't want it to, she really, really wanted this to be someone else's problem. And I get that I've been there, you know, I really wanted this to be someone else's problem too, when I was her age. Um, but there's.
0: So why is this the student's problem? Why is it Olivia's problem? Why is it my problem?
1: Oh, man. Because none of us are free until all of us are free. You know, we are, you know, white folks have, we have been scooped out, hollowed out by white supremacy. Um, We are bound to a legacy that even if we think isn't ours, that we benefit from. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's... And we we defend it in so many different ways that take us away from because of our fear of our of our family you know what our family might think if we if we disagree with them or because of what we might think about ourselves if we admit the times that we've been given you know un unearned opportunities or you know the thoughts that we have that we're like oh that's a bad thought that's racist you know I I shouldn't think that but like we're so busy defending. Ourselves and that legacy that all that we say doesn't exist, but we're defending that legacy, so it surely exists. Um, you know, we're it's taking us away from so much meaningful connection um, with each other, with ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, with people of color, um, with you know, with literature, with art that that doesn't center us. Um, we're we're so terrified of being uncomfortable that we're missing so much, um, about the world. And yeah. well, that's what I mean about like racism hurts everyone. Yeah. This, you know, the, the invention of white supremacy was to divide us. Um, and it continues to, we, we white folks who say, this isn't my problem. racism isn't real. Racism isn't real. You know, you're still falling for the okie doke. You know, you're still falling for the original, um, trap. You're, you're, you're trying to join a club that you're not even invited to, you know, it's, um, it's a sad thing. And I I just, I just want everybody to be free, you know? Um, and some of us are freer than others, but until all of us are free, none of us are free. Yeah
0: you know and here we are being political but you know before i had the language for it you know cuz i worked in the corporate world a long time and of course went through public education and college and you know what i was aware of is that you know we have to divorce ourselves from our true nature and our true selves just to pass as you know as being somebody who can fit in and function yeah. oh and, yeah and and be accepted
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, just so to much, get a
0: job and climb the ladder, you have yeah. to divorce you have, uh, yourself from yeah. yourself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's what white supremacy, you know, the aforementioned white club um, mm-hmm. is all about. I mean, white folks, we, you know, people say, oh, my ancestors were immigrants. They came here, you know, da, da, da. it's like, yeah. And they all gave something up to join this white club.
0: Yeah, you know they weren't white if they were they Irish or Scottish. White. They weren't white if you they were Italian. Purple. You weren't white. Yep.
1: yep. No, you couldn't have. You couldn't have your garlic. You couldn't have your your quote unquote weird dances. You couldn't have your weird music, your weird language. No, you had to assimilate. You had to get rid of everything that made you you. You've been mm-hmm. cut off from your culture, from your history, so that you could be part of this club that allowed you to dominate. But was it worth it? No. You know, when you <laughs> no, no, when you've assimilated completely where you don't even know what your ancestors ate, you know, like you you it, like, was it worth giving up, you know, your music and your quote unquote stinky food for fucking Lunchables, mm-hmm. you know? No, it's not worth it. And people don't even know what they've lost. That's that's the thing. You know, we don't know what we've lost because we think that it's better to have, to be centered all the time, to have all this power, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's a lot of what the truth about White Lies is about. You know, grandmother grieve her, Shania grieving her grandmother um, and thinking about, like, where with this person gone, who am I? And thinking, you know, she was the perfect part of my, of my, you know, of my history, like there's nothing, my grandmother did nothing wrong. She, she, was, she was an angel. And then learning that that's not true, but then learning how to love her anyway, you know, like we, we, it's, it's, I think that one, one aspect of white supremacy, white supremacy, which I've learned, you know, in doing this educator's guide for sure is how binary it is. You can, it's either one or the other well, I can't be racist because racist equals bad, which is another binary. And mm-hmm. I'm not bad. I'm good. So therefore I can't be racist. But what about all that in between? Like, you know, it, it's it's you either have it all or you have nothing yeah. with white supremacy. And that's just not true. Um, we we can give things up and still be whole. Um, and that's what I really you know, wanted to show in this book in very subtle ways. There are things that we can give up and not give up everything. Um, we can still be happy while not being ultimate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, there's other ways to live. There's other ways to be.
0: Do you think that putting this out there is a risk for your career?
1: Um, may, probably, yeah. Um, I I don't care. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't care, but probably, you know, I'm going to have to, I've got a, <laughs> a meeting with my friend next week because, you know, the hate mail has already began to roll in and the book isn't even out yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm used to that, you know, this isn't my first time writing about race. Uh, I've been writing about race for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, not always effectively, but, uh, you know, so yeah, it, it, it probably is. I mean, you know, there's a reason that this. this I don't want to I'm hesitate to make this comparison because I by no means consider myself on the level of John Brown, you know, abolitionist. But, uh, you know, there's a reason that we don't learn about, like, you know, white um, anti-racist, you know, co-conspirators in history class. You know, um, I didn't know who Ann Braden was until I was 30 years old. And, um, you know, the, the same way that, um, you know, white supremacists, you know, dominant ideology, the way, you know, we teach that like Rosa Parks was just a tired old woman that wanted to sit down and not a trained, you know, educated, um, prepared activist. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes it harder to, you know, that it's like if you can turn her into a, um, a one off, then it's then it's it's harder for people to emulate that right it's like oh well she was special she was a hero she wasn't just a regular person who had a lot of practice mm-hmm. um and the same thing is you know for white folks they you know we don't we don't teach who in Braden is because you might give some white people some ideas that if we drop all the bullshit and you know join arms with our black and brown brothers and sisters that um you know that shit can happen <laughs> we can get things done mm-hmm. um so, you know, yeah, it's probably it's probably probably a risk. Um, I'm fine taking that risk as as long as, I, as my daughter is okay. Um, that's my main thing is protecting her. So, you know, I've got a like I, I started to say this. I've got a meeting with my friend next week. You know about like security um, and you know getting make sure all my passwords and everything are locked down so nobody can hack or you know any of that stuff. But um, you know, I'm I'm doing my best and it's. Uh, it's, it's worth the risk to me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But you know, it's, (laughs) we say all this, this, this shit might flop, right? (laughs) It might, nobody might read it. Four people might read it and be like, Oh, that was okay. You know? I
0: I suspect because of the audience, you're going to get built in press just based on, stupid happening <laughs> yeah. right like no, such no, and no. such school district or is, is petitioned yeah. not to take this book into the curriculum well, especially with right all this
1: shit about critical race theory right yeah um, yeah i thought about that a lot lately i was like man well they're gonna be mad about this but uh but hopefully kids will do what kids do and be like oh it's banned well i definitely want to read it now
0: because I'm, I'm positive it will be widely <laughs> talked about
1: At least widely banned,
0: (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, that's what it takes for people to be reading it seventy years from now. You know, Uh, that's
1: very true. I say that tongue
0: in cheek, but you know, I know. Yeah, that's true.
1: But uh, you know, like I said, yeah, it's it's worth the risk. Um, I think that I want to see more white people writing these kind of books, and at the very least, even if I fuck this up and people read it. I'm fully out of mom mode now, aren't I? Dropping mm-hmm. that mom. Oh, well, um, we've
0: tapped into the passion vein. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, even if I, even if I hook this up, even if, you know, people are like, no, this is not it. Um, you know, this, this isn't doing what you thought it was going to do. You know, the, this isn't accomplishing what you were hoping you would accomplish. This mm-hmm. is what you should have done. I can't wait to hear that. I really, more than any other thing I've ever written, I'm looking forward to being wrong about this book and hearing those conversations and being part of them and doing better and hopefully inspiring other white people to, 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 it's funny, like say white people talk about yourselves when that's all we do. Right. But, but also like, but in this case, like this, do this, you know, like tell your stories about, you know, about your your racist grandma and, you know, and try to do it in a way that's not harming your readers. You know, there's a way to do it. There's a way to, you know, unpack this um, in a way that is restorative. Um, I really believe that. And it's not easy. It's not easy. And you can't just set off and do it. I mean, you know, it, if my first draft of this book had gotten published, Jesus Christ, you know, it, yeah. it would have been terrible, you know, but th- it takes time. It takes yeah. time. And we got to spend that time. It's worth spending the time
0: yeah and you mentioned that word restorative you know that's Mm. that's I guess the difference between calling out and calling in but at the end of the day even if you convinced everybody that you know we benefited from white supremacy and that we'd been you know doing things that were toxic to ourselves and others right you still have Mm -hmm. to reclaim people you can't just reject people right
1: yeah you know that's the goal if 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 those people want to be reclaimed, because, you know, you, you, you there's people who are talking, you know, restored, just like the person who has done wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do they want to be restored? Do they are, are they are you know, are they being welcomed back in and do they want to come back in or do they you know, there's I think there's people yeah. at this point, white folks who we would you know, cut off our nose, despite our face at this point, I I see that happening a lot, you know, um, because of, of the, the fear, um, the fear of looking at what we've done, what our grandparents have done. Um, you know, my, my friend and I, we, she's a white woman that I taught a couple classes with last summer, and we're working on a, um, a separate curriculum, um, for white women's education about white women, about white women's racism specifically. And, um, we were, you know, we're talking to one of our classes last year that we were doing all these outdoor classrooms because of COVID. So we were just sitting in a park talking about racism with all these white ladies. And, um, you know, one of them was like, I don't remember what question she asked, but it was basically, you know, some version of, you know, my, my grandparents didn't own slaves. And, you know, I, that wasn't me. And I was like, look, look, you know, we're in Kentucky and, you know, I, I can only, you know, make it you know, like personal, like, uh, like my grandfather My father and my grandfather were both from Springfield, Ohio, Mm. and my grandmother, I forget what, I think she was born in 1913, and her parents were from Springfield also. So in, I want to say 1904, there was a huge lynching in Springfield, Ohio, in the town square, Um, and a Black man, I think, was taken from a prison and he was lynched in Springfield and my grandmothers, you know, I've looked for records I, when COVID is over. I'm, I, my dad and I both are going to go up to Springfield library. They have a, apparently a pretty extensive records collection and we're going to, you know, do some in-person research as well. I can't find any research, you know, or any documents that show that my great would have been my, yeah, my great grandparents were there, but my, my grandfather's father was a lawyer. He probably was there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, he, you know, it, it's there's when you see these pictures of lynchings. These there's hundreds of white people there, right? There's hundreds. You see them, you know, looking at the camera, not looking at the camera. Some of them are smiling, some of them aren't. Yeah. They those they belong to somebody's family. Yep. Somebody's family was there.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you you can say it wasn't your grandma. Then where was your grandma that night? I want an alibi. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, we, well, we can't. Well, then we, I hear, we, I hear people know. say,
0: I hear people say, you know, well, they didn't know better back then.
1: Yeah, they did. Yeah.
0: yeah they and that did. just means you're not reading. You
1: know? Yeah. It just means you're not reading. Yeah. You're telling me you're not reading. How do you tell me you're reading without telling me you're not reading? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you, you you know, and, and even if they weren't, even if my great grandfather wasn't there, hmm. you're telling me in a town the size of Springfield, Ohio, that he didn't know, you know, that. What did he do? What did he say? Even if he wasn't in there cheering, what did he do? What did he say? What do you think your great-grandfather would say yeah. was, with, when he was there? You know, And it's like, we we can't know, right? Unless, you know, some people may know because they, some folks, you know, parents live longer than others, but, and some people hadn't, you know, a better oral tradition than, you know, my family, my family never talks to each other and hasn't for right. a long time. And I'm, you know, breaking that generational curse as much as I can. But, you know, so there's some, in some cases we're like, we may not ever know. But we can imagine and we can at least do each other in this present day the justice of of not trying to uh, absolve ghosts. Yeah. You know, we can do better than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So i have a little tangent for you you, you yeah. mentioned self-publishing and yeah you know, that was something that was mentioned to me about you that you do dabble in the self-publishing as well and i don't know how long you've been doing that on you know you're kind of the term as hybrid author um, yeah. yeah yeah i guess
1: i am i didn't think about it like that but yeah
0: i am um you know and there's one. Why are you doing it? But you know, just I'm going to lead with a different question, though, to start to transition into that is, you know, do you think if you had self published this book that it would have turned out as this book?
1: That's a great question. Um, no, I don't think it would have. Um, it wouldn't have because I have had the benefit of my editor, at Little Brown. You know, Alex Hightower is so brilliant and asks such incisive questions um, and has, you know, just a completely different way of approaching um, text than I do. And so even when I've self-published, which I've only done three books, you know, but I plan to do more, um, yeah, at least two more. Uh, I, you know, I definitely, it's not just me, like I still approach it the way I would a traditionally published book where I have people read it. I get feedback. I have people read it again. I get feedback. I revise, I revise, you know, this isn't like a book a month type of thing. I, I, you know, I take them very seriously. I invest money in them and getting them edited and formatted. I, you know, pay, you know, uh, artists for covers and, you know, it's not a it's not just like a design my cover on Canva, throw it together type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, although I've considered doing that for other smaller projects, just, you know, for fun. But um, but I, I'm just like, I take a long time to revise. So I typically don't have time for for fun books, but... Um,
0: so you're not no, doing it to build a six-figure empire with self-publishing <laughs> is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> no, definitely not. I would be failing miserably if that was the case. Um, <laughs> no, definitely not. I just, you know... For Panther in the Hive and the Rooster's Garden, that was you know there, that was a well, there's a long story there too of why it went that route. But Cloud Parliament was really just you know I was like I'm it started off I was gonna you know get it traditionally published I was gonna try you know to submit it around, but as it grew, it was just from one character's perspective, the white woman, um, white girl, she's pretty young, um, but then it grew and grew, and I was like, man, this book takes place in my hometown in Louisville. I don't feel right talking about horse racing in Louisville without talking, you know, about, you know, black folks perspective and Latinx people's perspective because mm-hmm. both, I mean, there's just such a huge tradition here um, with different backgrounds, you know, in, in horse racing. So it grew and grew. And I was like, man, here we go. Um, you know, I've got two characters of color and a white character and I just didn't feel right. Um, you know, putting it out there and taking up more space and publishing and getting publishing dollars that, you know, I was like, you know, this is kind of my passion project. Um, I'm just going to, and it's kind of obvious, like this one, I was like, you know what, once I kind of let go into the fact that like this isn't a book that traditional publishing would accept because it's long and it's slow in parts and it has tangents and it doesn't fully wrap some things up. But I was like, that's the way I want it, you know? So mm-hmm. it, I just kind of let that happen. It is very long. I know if I had gotten it traditionally, or traditionally published, it would have had to have been like 30,000 words shorter, um, 40,000 words shorter. But I was like, no, fuck it. This is this is my baby. So I'm, I just did it. Mm-hmm. Um But Truth About Why Lies would not have been the same book, you know, for those reasons, you know, it would have been longer. It would have been slower. It probably would have been more obscure. Um, But with Alex as an editor and with the beta readers that I had and the sensitivity reader that I had, um, you know, just really cut out so much of the of the not the fluff, but the um, I guess like you could call it the gristle, you know, just like a lot of gristle that would like would have been really tough for readers to chew on that not necessarily would have been bad, but like, as Alex put it, she's like, look, white people are going to be looking for an excuse to put this book down. Don't give them an excuse. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to cut a lot of it out, keep it lean. Um, And we really, and then we would take it out, take stuff out, but then we would say, Oh, we need this. So it ended up being about the same length as when it, eh, it's about 10, 10 K shorter than it originally was, but a lot of the material got replaced. So we would add, we would take some away, but then we would add more, And, um, no, it just, there's no way it would be what it is. You know, it wouldn't have had access to, you know, the folks that have given me such wonderful blurbs, which, you know, aren't public yet, but I can't wait for people to read them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you know, I'm hoping that it gets some, some good reviews, like if, if not good, at least, you know, mainstream so that people will see it and maybe read it and make up their own mind. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten you know, I had the budget to do the educator's guide, you know, with my advance, which I wouldn't have been able to do if I self published it without sinking more money into it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, with all of my advances, I try to, you know, pay people of color for just as many things as possible. Um, and that this was no exception and I couldn't have done that without the self-publishing. So, um, you know, it, it's, I am a hybrid publisher. I didn't really think about that or hybrid author, but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to keep doing that. I've got a, I've got a, uh, anthology of, of zombie interviews that I'm probably going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to self-publish eventually, <laughs> um, <laughs> just to, you know, completely do something different, but, yeah. uh, but, you know, it's like, I like keeping my options open.
0: Yeah. That, that's fun. And, and do you yeah. think about that as a business as well as like fun? Like <sighs>
1: Not really. I mean, yeah, like, uh, you know, I get money a little bit of money every month from, you know, Panther in the hive and cloud parliament, but, um, you know, it's not enough to, to pay anything off. It's just like, Oh, I can buy my daughter, you know, some new books, like mm. a couple of new books, you know? So it's, it's not really a business for me. Um, maybe one day, I, I did have a, a Hollywood producer interested in Panther in the hive for a while. Um, he, he's been quiet for a while. He, he sent me a couple, um, films, like a uh, script treatments. Um, mm. That's and, pretty serious. Yeah, he was pretty serious for a while. And then he was like, give you know, here's a list of writers that I think would be good. Do you have another, you know, any people that you think would be good? And I sent him a few and then he's, he's been off for a while. So, but he did that last time he disappeared for a while and he came back. And I know these things take time. Like a couple of like people, I know. <laughs> yeah, like forever, you know, and it's been, a year and a half since we first started talking and we've bounced things back and forth for a year and a half. So I'm like, if he comes back, you know, that's great. Um, but if yeah. not, uh, I don't care, but, uh, but, you know, so it's like a, a business, you know, I guess, but I'm just always more thinking about my readers and like who, who's going to read this and how can it have helped, um, you know, just widen their lens a little bit. Um, but I, I mean, my husband says he's like, you need to start thinking about money at some point. I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> I'm not, I am not great at that. But um, you know, and I I sold my verse book. Um, I'm, I was a poet before I was any of this. Um, mm. you know, author or fiction stuff. But um, my novel and verse comes out in 2023, and maybe that one I'll think more about money because that's the the book of my heart and. Um, I, I keep saying, like, as people are like, well, what is what is the truth about white lies if uh, Sincerely, Medusa is the book of your heart? And I was like, well, the book, the the, the truth about white lies is, like, the book of my guts. Mm-hmm. And Sincerely, Medusa is the book of my heart. And I feel like... My guts, you know, you're supposed to spill your guts, right? You know, so I'm, I'm I'm spilling my guts, and I don't expect anything back for it. But when you give your heart away, you gotta you gotta get something in return. So so maybe I'll think about money when it comes to my heart book. But for now, I'm just trying to do some good work.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: Mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you? I mean, so you're a, you're a mom, you know? And I talked with Ashley a lot yes that yeah and like how how has you know you mentioned and you mentioned being medicated as well for some things Mm -hmm. you were struggling with so how does being a mom and this whole like there's a lot of big changes how has that affected your writing process
1: man in every way in every possible way um you know my daughter from The moment she, you know, before she was my daughter, when she was just a little thing in my, you know, my uterus, she, I, we knew right away, like, oh shit, she's not going to give us any rest. Um, you know, I threw up my entire pregnancy. I was sick my entire pregnancy. So I already knew like, okay, I'm, things are going to change. Like, you know, this is my transition period of like, okay, I, cause I used to just write all the time whenever I wanted to, you know, um. Didn't really have much of a schedule. I didn't need one. I wrote all the time. Um, but when she was born, um, she made it very clear that no, we're not gonna do any of that bassinet bullshit, we're not gonna do any of that cradle bullshit, like I'm sleeping on you or next to you or nowhere. And she meant it. Um, you know, my husband and I were staunchly against, we were ignorant as hell, we didn't know about babies we were you know we were you going that, for
0: baby led weaning kind of approach or?
1: yeah well like baby led weaning as far as i understood it ended up being like you know for like when introducing solids but she you know i definitely wanted to breastfeed but mm-hmm. i had no idea how demanding she was going to be like with <laughs> breastfeeding and you know we we didn't know anything about co-sleeping all we knew was that you know american doctors say baby sleeps best alone and on their back you know um yeah,
0: yeah.
1: and we we uh, both took that very seriously until we met her. And we were like, Oh, she doesn't agree with that American doctors. <laughs> um, and so we started, we started co-sleeping safely. Um, you know, I luckily I gave birth with a midwife and she was like, look, you know, if you want to co-sleep, this is how you need to do it to be safe and da da da. da. And yeah, we co-slept for two years and it completely changed everything. Um, you know, my quality time with my husband, like we would watch movies with the TV on, you know, and then had to have a headphone in each of our ears and with mm-hmm. subtitles. I listen, I have to use subtitles anyway, but, um, but she, you know, she was right there with me. She's right there with me every second of my day. We thank God right before the pandemic, she started sleeping in her own bed. Then through the night, once she got into her own, be- own bed, she was good. Um, nice. but, uh, yeah, it was a fairly smooth transition, but, but she's my little, my little glue baby. She's on me all the time. And I love it. I love it. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. She's my everything, everything, everything. Mm. And, you know, I wrote this version, what became this version, this final version of the truth about white lies with her either nursing asleep, you know, on me or on my stomach or on my chest, um, on a couch, on a day bed in bed on my phone. I wrote this whole book on my phone Mm. and I will always remember that, you know, she, she was with me every step of the way. And, um, and I wrote better shit than I've ever written on my phone for some reason, having her there with me. So um, I really credit her with that. So, you know, everything changed with her and then everything changed again with the pandemic. And now it's changing again. Um, as I'm thinking about sending her to school this fall, we're going to see what's going on with these uh, COVID variants. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, she, you know, I don't, I don't know, man, like I, I, my she, she I've always had anxiety I've always had OCD um I didn't know that's what it was um but it she chilled me out so much just because she's so intense um you know somebody has to be cool and calm right um mm-hmm. so you know it's gonna be me the adult so uh you know I would manage my panic attacks in very um you know uh uncomfortable ways you know uh but I, just so that she wasn't scared or you know freaking out or anything you know i would just kind of manage it but it just got to the point where it you know got to a breaking point in COVID where i was like i am not okay i'm having panic attacks like sustained panic attacks you know because of just everything Mm -hmm. happening in the world so um yeah medication plus my daughter those are the two most wonderful transformations in my life um Mm -hmm. you know i i'm you know my mental health isn't perfect ocd is a bitch. But, um, you know, and everybody has their own, you know, the way they experience it. And uh, but for me, you know, a, a lot of my OCD takes the form of intrusive thoughts. And I realized after starting medication that a big part of my writing process is intrusive thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my doctor was like, well, are you you know worried about, you know, is this going to affect your eyes? Like, we're going to see. But for now, it's really nice to not be thinking horrible things 90% of the day. So if that means I'm not going to write the way I used to, then that's what that means. Um, and I don't write the way I used to, but my daughter prepared me for this because when she was born, I didn't write the way I used to either. I was like, all right, well, I made that work. So I'm gonna make this work too.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you're okay being a different writer.
1: (laughs) I'm okay being a different writer. Um, I feel like we gotta be a different writer, you know, different stages of our life. We can't always do the same thing. Right. Um, you if it works, it works, I guess, but I feel like something is in our life is, is going to change and we've got to change with it. Uh, and if we hold on too hard to, you know, what used to work or what used to be, then we're not getting the work done now. Um, so I have, I have to write, I have to write. It's part of who I am. So, um, I'm going to do whatever it takes, you know, um, if it means sometimes I have that sad thought of like, thinking about all the story ideas that I'm missing that mm-hmm. would have popped in my head a hundred times a day, mm-hmm. but usually they were horrible and scary, you know? So yeah, it would have been a great book, but I'll let somebody else take that one.
0: <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Olivia, for people who want to know more about you, how can they find you?
1: Oh man. I'm unfortunately on Twitter a lot. So <laughs> I'm on there um, at ranting owl, uh, which Say I, that wish again. I yeah. it's ranting owl, um, ah. Which you know, people who have been listening like, have been hearing me rant. So there you go. Um, but ranting now, I'm you know I'm on Instagram too, the same handle, and I have a website, um, OliviaACole.com. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 on the internet a little less than I used to be, but uh, Twitter is my guilty pleasure, truly. So um, <laughs> is
0: pleasure yeah. the right word?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it is pleasure anymore. Maybe it used to be, but um, I'm not a masochist and it's reaching the point where i don't know we'll see but uh there's still some man there's some good jokes on twitter jesus oh
0: that's true (laughs) it's gonna be a great outlet so
1: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. um yeah there's a couple people especially the video the the, Mm. the 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 videos that people have been making lately um just in like this kind of new, not new format, but uh, new formula, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, both, I can't remember Vinny's last name, but Vinny and then Ryan Ken. Jesus, those those folks are funny as hell. So, you know, when they get their own show, then maybe I'll get off Twitter.
0: There you go, <laughs> <laughs> Olivia. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast.
1: Man, thanks for having me so much. This this was um, really great, especially with the writing that I've got to do tonight. You got my my brain going.
0: Awesome. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.